1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the it's Always Draft Season podcast, part of the Packard Podcast Network. Jake Shavink here with you guys on this fine Tuesday. Had to re-record this, and we'll get to why a little bit. Um, just had one of the uh, the stat stuff and, and the grade stuff for one of the QBs wasn't complete. I uh, didn't realize that writing the numbers down. And you might be asking what what that is, uh, what I'm talking about there. But uh, in this re-record. You guys won't obviously hear the other one, but I think the biggest thing is that we are sitting here um, in the month that college football begins. That's very exciting Uh, for me. I'm sure it is for a lot of you as well. Most of you that are listening to this, I'm sure have plenty of of excitement for that. Uh, We are just over a couple weeks here, two and a half weeks-ish, until we really get underway, set of games on the 26th of August. So what we're going to do leading up to the beginning of and and maybe throughout um, college football is we're going to take some snapshots of some top prospects, uh, especially leading up to it. And maybe we'll get to some full positional previews and whatnot uh, once we get ever so close uh, to to the start of college football. Maybe for the true week one, we might do that as well. Um, But we're going to do a prospect six pack here. Six prospects uh, on this show, and I think it's going to be a good number. I think we'll get to a-, a lot of the stuff on them, a lot of the notes, a lot of the t- uh, the numbers, and we'll build a pretty good picture of them uh, on this pod. Maybe we'll go a little bit more than six uh, if it feels like we should. Let me know how you feel about six per episode. If we want to go more, we can do that. It just might be a bit longer, and you know, if, you, if you're good with that, that's fine. Um, so today we're going to get into... Two quarterbacks, a running back, a receiver, um, a tight end, and an offensive tackle. Uh, The next episode you hear will also be all offense, uh, and and you'll see who those names are. Um, But this one, we're covering quite a few of the top guys, and I think, you know, what better way to start than than to talk about, I think, the top two quarterbacks uh, in the 2024 NFL draft. Uh, We'll start with... USC's Caleb Williams and you know uh, there's a lot of numbers here we're going to get to them all uh, and then kind of talk about uh, the game what I've seen on film um, I will say for the quarterbacks uh, there will be charting numbers out on my sub stack if you want to check that out uh, in a couple weeks time they will have those on there as well we might include them in, in a pod uh, if we do a quarterback preview We'll see where we're at with that. But let's start here with Caleb Williams uh, from USC, 6'1, 215. S- uh, some sites have him at 220. I've seen 215 more often. Uh, yeah, Junior obviously played one season at Oklahoma, came in in relief for Spencer Rattler, played very well there. And then obviously last season, a uh, full season at USC under Lincoln Riley, following him there uh, to Southern California. What we saw uh, from. Caleb Williams it was a 91.8 grade, 90.1 passing grade, 82.8 rushing grade. Uh, when you look at the the raw numbers, 76 percent adjusted completion percentage, really impressive number there. Uh, you look at what 4,539 yards, 42 touchdowns, five picks, 32 big time throws to just 11 turnover worthy plays. Did have twenty seven total drops uh, from his receivers, and another I think important stat to talk about: sixteen percent pressure to sack ratio. Um, you know that's that's not a bad number. That's a pretty solid number there. Like to be under twenty, uh, so that's fine there. In terms of the passing depth uh, and sort of the the grid, and that's kind of where you know the charting will come into play as well uh, when we get there um, deep. 20 plus, obviously the intermediate, uh, 10 to 19, and then less than 10 is the short passing grade. It is, uh, I believe, a 91.6 deep passing grade, 92.8 in the intermediate, and then just a hair over 80 uh, in the short passing grades. Uh, If you go full grid, we're looking at 78.8 deep left, 20 plus, 89.7. Uh, down the middle, twenty plus. And then ninety one point two deep right. We got seventy nine uh, intermediate left, ninety five point three intermediate middle, seventy one point nine uh, intermediate right. Then short, short left. He's sixty five uh, short in the middle, eighty seven, and then short on the right, sixty five point nine. So the grades seem to be, you know, a little bit better uh, as we get further down the field. Uh, obviously, crushing it in the intermediate area. Uh, When you look at some of the other numbers uh, at those levels, uh, you get 47.7 adjusted completion percentage deep down the field, 20 plus, 25 big time throws, just four turnover worthy plays. And then um, you look at the intermediate 65.2 adjusted completion percentage, six big time throws to four turnover worthy plays as well. Uh, And in the short, uh, one big-time throw, one turnover-worthy play, an 85.4 adjusted completion percentage. Now, when you look at some of the pressure numbers uh, for Caleb Williams when he's kept clean, uh, 79.2 adjusted completion percentage, 9.2 yards per attempt, 28 touchdowns, 5 picks, 18 big-time throws to just 7 turnover-worthy plays. When under pressure, uh, an 85.5 grade, 79.4 in both passing and rushing uh, in terms of raw grades, 65.8 adjusted completion percentage under pressure, 8.6 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns, 0 picks under pressure, 14 big-time throws to just 4 turnover-worthy plays. Uh, when blitzed, an 81.6 grade, 78.3 passing, 75.1 rushing grade, 72.3% adjusted completion percentage, 8 yards per attempt. 19 touchdowns, one pick when blitzed, 13 big time throws to just three turnover worthy plays. So, obviously, a lot of raw numbers that we just threw at you there. I think the biggest thing to take away from that is he's making big time throws. You know, the accuracy is definitely there, the ball placement's there. Um, really good at throwing in the intermediate area and really good deep down the field. That's very clear. Um, and again, I think he's pretty risk averse uh, despite 11 turnover worthy plays. 32 big time throws, that's a good number um, to go with it. And obviously when under pressure and blitzed, he's making things happen. He's creating solutions for that offense. So that's really exciting to see. I think when you look at him as a prospect, obviously the guy is heightened creativity, scrambler, kind of just gunslinger, flying by the seat of his pants type of thing, but also under control when he does so. Uh, when you look at him scrambling, I think you see a guy who obviously is very committed to getting everything he can out of a scramble or a run uh, when he does run. I think what's really good is he's maneuvering the pocket well. He's resetting his feet. He's still looking uh, for something down the field. He, he's he's still pass first, even when scrambling, even when maneuvering, when escaping pressure. He's still looking down the field. His eyes are up. He's looking for something. Uh, something to come open later uh, in the play before he scrambles. So he's not like the one read, two read and I'm off to the races. I'm sure he's done that a few times on film, but he, it's very clearly the last resort to him, which is really good. Uh under pressure, he's an escapist, you know, he can obviously, you know, football change hands, right? Stay away from, you know, the those costly fumbles and whatnot. You know, he has just a, a good job surviving some hits, surviving some tackle attempts and just finding ways out of that. Um, and you can see the accuracy to all levels. I think he th- he throws a really good intermediate ball, um, and obviously operates the quick game at a high level with good accuracy, giving the receivers whatever uh, they need in terms of operating after the catch. Uh, you know, he's good at giving guys chances on fifty fifty balls when it's really not as you know risky as as some of those fifty fifty balls might seem but i think you know the the real hype comes when he's making plays on the move you know when he's rolling to his left and firing dimes 10 15 20 25 yards down the field when he's leaving his feet to make throws 30 yards down the field you know there's a prep against Arizona State where he's jumping it it's a jump pass not of the Tim Tebow sort where it's at the goal line no no it's a 15 yard you know comebacker out outside the numbers over a defender right the splash plays are unbelievable the arm talent's undeniable. The placement's undeniable. And and the heightened creativity is undeniable. And and he is just going to find ways to carry his team, whether it be with his legs, whether it be on the move of his arm, or, again, just operating the quick game, finding what he needs to find, you know, going through some progressions. I think he's good at that. I think he's good at finding the backside digs on plays. You see him work one, to two, to three progression-wise. He'll come back to the other side if he needs to. He's pretty quick with that. Eyes and feet are pretty... Um, pretty much in sync. I think when you look at him, uh, he's able to just kind of have a a tremendous feel for the pocket as well. I think, you know, he's good at understanding when he can back up, you know, get out of the play a little bit. He's strong with stepping up and avoiding some pressure. So there's just so much to like, I think with Caleb Williams. And and I know that's the splash plays that garner a lot of attention, but I think he's just can be really good marching you down the field as well. I think there's a few things for him to me that, that need to be worked on this year. Uh, the the first of those is anticipatory throws. He still very much see it, throw it. He wants to see somebody's face, somebody's helmet looking at him. You know, he's not big at throwing during the break. You know, especially when receivers are, you know, working those sit routes, those curl routes where they got to turn around. Uh, he's he's big at seeing them, seeing him first when he throws. So that's just something to watch for with anticipatory throws. Uh, I think he middle field recognition and vision. I just think sometimes he's missing stuff. He's leaving some meat on the bone over the middle of the field. Um, obviously he's he's graded very highly uh, in that intermediate area especially over the middle uh, because when he takes advantage of it and when he makes strong throws like that, you know he's got enough velocity he's got enough arm strength he can do that and I think he's just missing some meat on the bone and sometimes with the progressions it's not always where he's going with it but I think there are some times where he's scrambling looking around a little bit and he's kind of missing those opportunities. I think he holds the ball a little bit too long on key downs. I still think the pressure to sack percentage is pretty low. I think he understands when he needs to get out of there. But there are times where he's, you know, again, he's not scramble first. And so that's where he can kind of lead to him, like, lingering, looking, looking, looking for something. And, and sometimes on key downs, that hurts him a little bit. And I do think on the deep ball, because I do think you see some some inconsistencies with it. I think it's just not putting enough air under it, right? And I think that's something uh, to monitor as well. But I think mechanically, it's pretty good. Generating a lot of power with his core and lower half. Mechanically, Um Good rotation, generating good velocity. So everything's there with Caleb Williams, and we know that, right? He is he is a fantastic player, and there's a reason he is still the favorite to go number one overall, right? He has all the talent in the world, and I expect a big year for him. Obviously, losing Jordan Addison though, that's very that's going to be something to watch. I know he's got Brendan Rice, he's got Jacob Cohen coming in from Arizona, and he's got Mario Williams. It's not a big group at receiver, so. And again, it's not really a lot of world beaters at receiver either. There, there's some talent there for sure, um, but you're not, you know, it's not like Straub playing with Marvin Harrison Jr., Ibuka, and JSN the last the last couple of years, right? It's not, it's not on that level. So there's gonna be a lot of times where it's gonna be, you know, USC. Can we? Can, can Caleb just do this for us? Can he carry us to to the promised land? Really, and I think that's a lot of what it was last year as well and you know usc just didn't have enough of the horses everywhere else to to make the playoff they were on the doorstep they had utah on the ropes early just didn't get it done um i think it'll be interesting to see to clock those uh five interceptions and those 11 turnover worthy plays i'm going to do something on that for every quarterback as well i uh, really want to dig into that i, I a couple at the top of my head um i know the one that one against utah in the pac 12 title game was a, he was just late getting there and then the defender broke on it so Pretty uh, pretty much a bad decision uh, on a late read. Um, I, I none of the others are coming to the top of my head, but I do think he is pretty risk averse, and and he's still making big time plays and big game hunting. You know, with with calculated um, risk taking skills. So I really like Caleb Williams. Let's go over to Drake May now, um, who you know is is a phenomenal player in his own right, and, and that's very clear too. So again a lot of numbers at you here for drake may uh we'll start with this a 91.5 grade last year 90.8 passing grade 74.8 rushing grade he can scramble too he's a he's a good athlete as well like williams is uh may a little bit bigger at 6'4 a little bit leaner um just with his frame he's he's taller so it's a little bit leaner for him uh hovering around that 225 range Uh, When you look at the raw stats, 75.4 adjusted completion percentage, 4,293 yards, 37 touchdowns, seven picks, 8.3 yards per attempt, 20 drops as a whole from his team, 45, a whopping 45 big-time throws, 16 turnover-worthy plays, and then an 18.3 pressure-to-sack percentage. So, again, I think there's there's a lot to like there. Again, the pressure sack percentage is decently low. 45 big-time throws is a big deal. Uh, we'll get to why I think that is. Um, when we get there, let's get to some of the other raw numbers. Let's go to the grid here. 20-plus uh, down the field, 97.5 grade, 92 grade on intermediate throws, 77.1 grade on the short throws. When you look at the grid, 93.3 deep left, 96.7 deep middle, 93.1 deep right. Ninety-two point five intermediate middle, ninety-one point eight intermediate or ninety-two point five intermediate left, ninety-one point eight intermediate middle, sixty-eight point five intermediate right, seventy-six point two short left, seventy-one point nine short middle, sixty point four short right. Uh, Deep down the field, thirty-six big time throws, six turnover worthy plays, fifty-two point nine. Adjusted completion percentage that is higher than Caleb Williams by, I think, 5-ish percent. Yep, pretty yeah, 5%. 66.1% uh, adjusted completion percentage intermediate. That is also just a hair above Williams. And then 9 big-time throws to 3 turnover-worthy plays. 84.1% adjusted completion percentage short. That's a little bit lower than Caleb Williams of 85. Uh, no big-time throws, 1 turnover-worthy play. Uh, when kept clean, 79.9 adjusted completion percentage, 26 touchdowns, three picks, 31 big time throws, five turnover-worthy plays, uh, when under pressure, um, yeah, this is where eh, it gets a little dicey, I think, for him when under pressure. I think you see the bad decisions kind of rear their ugly head a little bit more, um, so 61.5 adjusted completion percentage under pressure. Did have a 65 grade, 61 passing grade, 11 touchdowns, 4 picks, 14 big-time throws, 11 turnover-worthy really plays when under pressure. If you remember Williams, it is just 4 turnover-worthy really plays under pressure. So there's a, there's a big difference there. Uh, when blitzed, 67.5 adjusted completion percentage. Again, both of those numbers are lower, uh, those adjusted percentages when blitzed and under pressure than Williams. Um, did have a 75.4 grade and a 72.5 passing grade in that when blitzed situation. 19 touchdowns, two picks, 14 big-time throws and eight turnover-worthy plays. So eight turnover-worthy plays when blitzed, 11 of them under pressure. So again, a little bit more turnover, uh, turnover-worthy uh, play-prone um, then Williams is under pressure. So beyond the raw numbers, what you get with Drake May, I would like to point this out first as well. Obviously, he played with Downs last year. Williams played with Addison. Do I think there's a big talent gap there? Not, not, not totally. I did like Addison more than Downs. But again, I think it's it's another recipe of Drake May's got to carry this team a little bit and, and put things on his back, and he definitely did that at times. Um, I think the offense is pretty, pretty pretty bad honestly i think the scheme is not very good there's a lot of just like five man spread horizontal stretch in there a lot of spot concepts so it's just it's very basic and teams just really key in on what's going on so then you end up with plays where may's got nowhere to go and he's got to scramble and he's making plays scrambling for sure and that's something that he does at a high level i I, the throwing motion's fine i think the mechanics are good um You know, I think he's got easy velocity as a thrower. What I think really separates May a little bit from Williams is the touch and the precision that that he has when he's he's layering throws or when he's throwing it deep down the field. I think you just see just he hones in a little bit more. He's got the he's gotten the more, you know, guided missile thing where Caleb Williams is kind of just letting it go a little bit more, right? Caleb Williams doesn't have the guidance system on the missile drake May's got the guidance system on the missile i really do believe that um especially within the pocket on the deep throws uh, you just can see the precision just this is the receiver's got the only chance to catch this ball down the field right throw it down in the bread basket uh in between multiple defenders in the intermediate area he challenges that with good velocity and it's right on the money so much of the time so that, that type of precision in ball placement is why I think he's going to score a little bit better in the charting than Caleb Williams will. So that's definitely a, a big-time part of it. Um, so, yeah, all of that. To all levels of the field, you see that very much so. Um, because of the, the concepts and because of what teams play, I think you see a really strong anticipatory thrower. He's separating um, his left hand from his throwing hand. Uh, his right hand, obviously, um, before guys are breaking. Right as guys are breaking, as zone defenders are making their decision at that, okay, I'm carrying the flat versus carrying the, you know, the stop route, the hitch route. He he understands. He he easily commits in the quick game when defenders are are tasked with their decision. Um, you you see him understand where he's going with the football in the quick game. It, it's very dialed in. Um, In terms of the concepts and what teams are playing and and what he sees post snap, I think the post snap identification is very good with Drake may Um, like I said, yeah, versus zoner man. It doesn't really matter. Uh, He does a good job. I think with hot routes, especially against off coverage, especially when the blitz is coming. He knows where the hot route is uh, and he's getting that out on time. He's not afraid to take hits. There's some poise there. I just think under pressure when he doesn't have the answer right away. That's when you see the turn of worthy throws right I think you see him just kind of like I got to commit to this um and I think that's where maybe he runs into a little bit more trouble I do think there are plays where he needs to be maneuvering more I think he's still pretty good maneuvering but I think there are plays where he kind of gets stuck in the mud a little bit and stays where he needs to and he's getting guys pushed into him and that's affecting the throw where he needs to be able to slide and continue maneuvering while keeping those eyes downfield that's definitely something that's that's evident um I didn't mention this with Williams, but I think Williams has the back shoulder throws down. I think may needs to work on those. I do think may sometimes overcommits to the first read where I, I, sometimes you can see defenders. Like if it's a fade route per se, I think this is really a, a common one that you see a lot where he's throwing the fade route sometimes from the number two, from the it's a slot fade or something like that to the corner. And I think he's committing to it when it's really not there. So there's overcommitment to the first read for him a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think when you look at him as a scrambler, I think he's really um, effective using the pump fake to kind of get defenders out of his way, and that helps him scramble. That helps him hit open receivers. So really effective in that regard. But he, he's he's a good athlete, and he's going to be able to scramble, run around. It'll be kind of like watching Trubisky run around at his days at North Carolina. He's, he's a good athlete. There's no doubt about it. So, again... I think he's he's put together a, a very strong resume and he's got some good touch throws off platform on the move as well. I just think it's under pressure, under duress. Can we get better with that? Can we get better with some of the simpler throws? Can we get better with the back shoulder, right? Can we get better maneuvering the pocket a little bit more? Can you embrace the creative side? He does that a little bit. He did so against Oregon in the Holiday Bowl. There's one play of him kind of scrambling and just kind of doing a shovel pass. I love Brett Favre a little bit, but I do think there's just more consistency out of structure, more consistency maneuvering within the pocket and being more consistent under pressure. Those are the three things I think that that Drake May needs to improve upon the most. But I do think I, I really like Drake May. It's really 1A, 1B right now. I'm excited to kind of write both of these guys up and just kind of talk about the differences uh, within their strengths and weaknesses. So I'm I'm excited about those guys. I, I really liked uh, what I saw from both of them. Um, let's move on to uh Fashano, the tackle from... Penn State who I think a lot of people would say would have been the best tackle in the 2023 class ahead of Paris Johnson, ahead of Skaronsky ahead of Broderick Jones. I think most people would have put him there and he would have been 20 on draft day, which would have been really cool to see. I think with with Fashanu, uh, there aren't a lot of raw stats that I want to get into really. I think when you look at it, uh the 71 overall grade was a little surprising. By the way, 66 319 is obviously a junior, he'll be 21 on draft day. But the 71 overall grade. It was, it was very, uh, the, the disparity was high here. 84.7 pass blocking, 59.4 run blocking grade, seven pressures allowed, no sacks allowed. Uh, some of his better games as a pass blocker, obviously against Ohio State, Michigan, and Auburn. He's doing a really good job against top competition. Uh, his worst games were actually against Northwestern or Minnesota, not something that you expect to, to hear. Honestly, I, I really did not expect those to be his worst games, but those were, uh, on the schedule and that was, that was a little bit surprising, but, uh, we're going to go into more of the notes, uh, with Fashanu here, uh, just cause there aren't a lot of raw stats, you know, as there are with quarterbacks and skill position players. So let's get into what I, I, I think he is, is extremely good at, um, I will, we'll get into that first, uh. I do think the run pass uh, game disparity definitely shows. So let's get into what the good first is a pass blocker. I think that he's got such a high IQ playing the position when it, when it comes to picking up stunts, when it picking up sim pressures, understanding, okay, this guy's coming. This guy isn't. He's very attuned to that. I think he's, he's really good at getting out to his assignment when he needs to. Um, yeah. blitz pickups. He, he's just really all around with the reaction skills. And that plays into how he can react with with his IQ, but also how quickly that recognition turns into you know quick movement skills and quick reaction skills in terms of a physical standpoint as well. I think he's really good there. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know the pass blocking in terms of initially. I think you see him do a great job jumping out when he's jump setting, getting out wide. You know the forty-five degree sets, the vertical sets. I think he's really comfortable in that area. He's comfortable at changing direction. I think he's really quick with that. He's quick, light foot, agile. You know, you see all that on film with him. I think he varies his strikes as w- well, which is really good. You don't want to be, you know, just spamming the two-hand punch. That's not how you know you get better. It's not how you handle counters. That's not how you, you know kind of win the boxing match, match the chess match. That kind of happens a little bit before the real contact phase begins uh, i think he's really good in that um bit he's a good initial strike really good leverage he's he's in tight under the armpits you know as good of a leverage guy as good of a kind of a technique as peter skaronski was really uh in terms of pass protection that's all there it's in tight you know he he's good at with his grip strength really strong hands can anchor really well regain leverage even if he gives up some ground to some of the bull rushers which he did he definitely gave up ground to him but he was really good at you know even if he had sometimes there was one rep against i think ohio state where both feet are off the ground it's just impressive to watch him drop anchor get the flat back regain leverage quickly you know and be able to give his quarterback just that much more time uh the split second the second and a half whatever it is to get to get plays out uh and get throws away which is huge um I think, you know, when you look at his his ability to kind of turn and run and shuffle and escorting guys around the arc, that's really good as well. I was really impressed with that there. I think there's one thing that stood out in pass protection that that con- was concerning, but again, it's part of the chess match, it's part of watching film, understanding your opponent. So I think against Ohio State, this happened twice, I think, which maybe one against JT and one against Harrison, I th- I want to say. Maybe it was JT was both of them, and we'll obviously be talking about him a lot um, for the draft as well. But he's got to be careful. Sometimes he kind of drop steps that inside foot uh, to begin you know anchoring, hunkering down, ready for the bull rush. And especially when guys jab step inside of him, he kind of is bracing for that. So he gets into that drop step. And that's kind of a setup move for some of the rushers. So they set him up with a jab step and then they're double hand swiping and ripping, and they're able to kind of create maybe a little bit more of an avenue to the quarterback. Did they generate pressures on those? I don't believe so because I think he didn't have any pressures given up, maybe one in the Ohio State game. So, but it's something where you look at guys maybe that are more athletic and more fine tuned than the guys Fashano was facing at Ohio State in the NFL and you get guys who can set him up with the jab step they're going to be able to win around the arc and create some sacks. So it's just it's a it's a little something that was kind of evident on film that I think was important to bring up because he gets into that drop step with that with that inside foot susceptible to getting that edge kind of trimmed and flattened and you give, you know, your opponent a little bit of an edge getting to the quarterback. Um as far as the run game goes, yeah, he doesn't displace very well in the run game. He's not really a latch on and drive. He can latch on, but he just doesn't drive guys out of the play. You know, he's not that Kwanu type of finisher, right? He he doesn't really – he isn't that type of player. Um, but I do think he's either athletic enough, you know, to kind of – can he fire and pull and lead the charge a little bit? I think he can. I think he's, you know, just got to work on getting to the landmarks, you know, whether it be, you know, going out and pulling, whether it be second-level climbing. Um whether it be reach blocking. I think that's something he definitely struggled with a little bit is reach blocking, getting to the right leverage spot um, to turn guys outside. So is he his own fit? That's going to be a, a question mark he's going to have to answer this season, but I do think he has a chance to, to definitely answer the bell in that regard. So I, I'm excited for Fashana because he's really just a maestro technically as a pass protector. I just hope that the disparity um, in both phases of the game can kind of level itself out, not be so drastic. Hopefully he can just get, you know, take some steps as a run blocker and and even work tirelessly on becoming, you know, the best pass protector he can be because I do think he right now uh for me is going to slot in as the top tackle uh heading into the season. So we'll take a short break here for you guys and we'll be back with the next three prospects.
0: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks.
1: All right guys, back here with it's always draft season. Uh the next three prospects on the list, we'll start with uh we'll start with Brock Bowers who you know, tight end from Georgia, uh 6'4", 230, you know, not not the biggest guy uh on the planet which you know is going to kind of raise some eyebrows. I, I really think that's going to be the case for him. Um he's going to have that 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 kind of be Really the focal point of conversation because he's obviously going to get the hype of a top 10, top 15 draft pick at a position that, you know, teams have often waited on. You know, a lot of the early round tight ends have taken a lot of time or haven't panned out. You know, you go back to the draft with uh, O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram and uh, David Njoku. O.J. Howard never found it. Uh, It took Evan Ingram, you know, he had a good rookie season, but it then took him a few years after that, several years after that to really get to where he is now in Jacksonville. And David and is still kind of looking for maybe a little bit of that breakout juice. So, you know, Kyle Pitts was obviously an early pick. TJ Hawkinson was an early pick. Those guys, Hawkinson's coming into his own Pitts, We want to see it in year three like it was in year one. And then you have, um, you know, Noah Fant, who really has not found it uh, one bit. So that's just, again, something I think to to kind of pay attention to. Uh, for Bowers, um, Counting uh, the playoffs, he had 63 receptions for 942 yards, 7 touchdowns. That's 15 yards per reception. Um, Had a, I believe, a 90 receiving grade, which is really, really good. Uh, 90 offensive grade, 81 drop grade, which is nice. Um, His freshman grades were a little bit higher than the sophomore grades. Um, That's all right, though. I think he's been really uh, obviously very consistent. He uh, had a 92 grade, so it only dropped to a 90, but the consistency has been off the charts. Um, I do think, you know, when you look at the snaps, uh, he has 259 snaps in the slot. 37 of them are out wide, um, and then 133 in line. So there's some disparity. He's obviously more of the, the F tight end, the move tight end type, uh, than he will be an inline player. I think it's important to... Talk about 7.6 yards after the catch per reception. Uh, you get into some other raw numbers, 2.37 yards per route run on an A dot of nine yards. Um, he wow, the, the the contested catch numbers are very good. Thirteen of seventeen, uh, which is seventy six and a half percent. Really like that as well. Um, and I think you know, when you look at blocking grades, the pass blocking grade. Uh, a 76.9 not terribly bad there honestly like that's that's not bad for a guy who's 230 pounds right when you look at that so the run blocking 73.8 again not horrendous for a guy who's 230 pounds so that's again something I think just to just of note where you look at that and you go okay like this guy you know He's giving his effort, and he's at least performing at a, at a pretty baseline level in terms of blocking. So that's that's good to see. Now, run blocking can obviously account for, you know, guys in space, linebackers, corners, safety. So how much is that skewing the grade? That's where the film comes in, of course, right? How much of that is in line? You know, how what is his assignment in pass protection, right? Is he getting defensive ends, or is he picking up, you know, linebackers in the blitz? Is he getting smaller guys? That's all kind of kind of baked into the evaluation with Bowers so when it comes to what he is as a receiver he's he's insanely fast I think you understand that I think most people who watched him would say that uh the burst and acceleration is impressive he can win down the seam he's going to win vertically uh even out wide he's going to have that chance uh he does a great job pressing vertically using his hands using the size to kind of just help him out when he's snapping off routes, getting into the speed turn a little bit more than sort of the choppy breaks, uh, which is totally fine. Zay Flowers is obviously a, a real maestro in terms of using both um, at, at the break point. Bowers uses that speed turn because he's running a lot of deep digs, deep over routes. So that's kind of just baked in that way. Um, again, obviously phenomenal hands, phenomenal hand-eye coordination. There's a tip drill pass against Florida that he did a really good job of find, just kind of finding his way. Uh, on a strange tip drill, and he turns it into a score. He's very tough to catch from behind, obviously, with said speed. Uh, But again, working through contact over the middle of the field is not going to be a problem for him. We talked about how good he is in contested spots. Go elevate, secure the football away from your frame, bring it in tight, handle contact. He's going to do all of that as a receiver. Um, And he's got a little bit of twitch and wiggle at the line of scrimmage, which is nice to see as well. He's an agile player, of course. Um, He can make things happen after the catch. He's, He's a mutter. He's tough. Uh, and he obviously has the speed to kind of erase a few angles here and there, and that's really exciting to watch. Uh, and obviously, that speed—he was using some gadget stuff, some jet motion. He's getting the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Georgia was not afraid to do that, give him those type of opportunities. Um, I think it's fair to to kind of project him to potentially reach the thousand yard marker this season, uh, which would be incredible, obviously. And you know, a new quarterback now in there for Georgia, so it might be a slow start for him. We'll see, but. Again, the sky's the limit for him as a receiver. When it comes to the blocking, I think it's hard for him to have the... He doesn't really have the functional strength really to sustain blocks in line you know, against defensive ends, linebackers. It's more of a hang-on for dear life. Hopefully, you don't get snatched. Hopefully, you don't lose balance. So, I think he's got to approach it you know, just coming in a little bit lower, coming in with a better base, and, and really getting in tight, working on the technique. Uh, But he's he's going to he's he's got the willpower. Uh, He works his butt off as a blocker. He's definitely been, you know, a a little bit more of the flex wing type of tight end when the two tight end sets with Darnell Washington. It's not fair to compare him and Washington as blockers. It's not close. But you see, Bowers, you know, especially you know, tunnel screens, run plays. When he gets to the perimeter, the blocking is pretty good. Obviously, when he's handling guys that are more his speed, and more his size, right? So I think with Bowers, I think there's really not a whole lot where you go, ah, oh, he's really got to work on it, you know, as a receiver. I think it's just more the blocking, right? He's going to be a threat wherever he uh, gets the ball, whether it be you know on screens, whether it be in the jet motion, if you're going to use him as in that gadget type of thing, or just again, yeah, go win against this guy with speed, with strong hands, you know, with good technique as a route runner, and obviously the speed to separate. So you can separate in many ways, elevating at the catch point. With Brock Bowers, it's really all there, the complete package. Can he improve as a blocker? Can he add some more weight, maybe get himself up to 240, right, because he's a little bit on the lighter side even in this class where we talked about guys like Kincaid and Laporta, you know, who were guys that were, you know, either just at 240 or a hair over 240. I think Laporta was closer to 245. Um, so we'll see, uh, obviously, you know, that's just, again, something to watch for is, is the size going to be the thing that kind of keeps him from being a true top selection in the draft or the combine numbers and the speed, you know, that he runs in the 40 and the GPS tracking going to be like, no, like this, listen, this is a special athlete for the position, which I think he is. So, um, that's going to be, I think the center of debate really with Bowers and how high he goes, who will draft him, who can say, uh, we're way too far out for that. But I think it'll be interesting to see if some team, you know, has an established sort of inline player and wants to bring in Bowers to be the true F, move tight end, big slot, sort of a receiver, pseudo, not really, but also can kind of treat you to some 11 and a half personnel where you have two tight ends on the field, but it sometimes doesn't feel like two tight ends on the field because your third quote unquote receiver is Bowers, who can also block pretty well in space, gives you a new wrinkle there, you know, so that's that's always something to watch for um, as the NFL Kind of diverges a little bit. Some teams are committing more to the run. You know, you got the Shanahan run scheme and the McVay kind of still staying at 11. So that's kind of a divergent thing we're talking about there. But Bowers, I think, can fit in either of those schemes. So it's it's going to be fun to, to see where he lands uh, next fall. Let's get to now somebody who I think is going to have, obviously, you know, a, a career that's talked about a lot. And, you know, the game's probably going to be under the microscope. Um, When we get to the season, that's Marvin Harrison Jr., of course, wide receiver, Ohio State, 6'4", 205, probably closer to 6'3", I think, when when we get to the measurements down uh, at the combine. Last year, 77 catches, 1,263 yards, 14 touchdowns. Really impressed with with what he uh, does at the receiving position. Uh, Obviously, had to kind of wait his turn still. That at Ohio State after guys like JSN and Olave and Wilson he had to wait his turn which is kind of wild to think about um, but again tremendous numbers across the board when you look at him you get a 90.2 grade last season uh, 89.9 receiving grade 85.1 drop grade when you look at the drop rate it is where are we drop rate I'm looking for it I can't find it uh, 3.8% is your drop rate. That's extremely low. Uh, it's an impressive number for him. Uh, 61 first downs, 18 of 30 contested catch wins. It's a pretty good number overall. Um, only 86.3 of the snaps were out wide. That was kind of a fun stat, a, a kind of a crazy stat I wasn't expecting to see from him. 3.18 yards per route run, 14.3 average depth of target. That's wild. Um, Yards after the catch per reception is 4.2. Not the biggest yak threat, which I think really matches the film. Uh, When you get to the receiving grade in terms of receiving depth, I think is very interesting. Um, You look at 99.9 receiving grade uh, on passes 20-plus down the field. That's nuts. Um, He wins four of six contested balls down there, uh, 15 first downs. Uh, When you look at the medium, uh, intermediate, whatever you want to call it, 10 to 19, 97.6 receiving grade, Uh, you know, you look at just one drop um, in how many opportunities and 42 targets, just one drop, 12 of 18 contested wins, and um, I believe 24 first downs Uh, in the short area, 92.7 grade. two of six contested opportunities that's fine 22 first downs uh in the short area so really across the board what is there to say about marvin harrison jr um he's a natural he makes everything look easy um i know that's something i think ryan kind of said and highlighted a couple a few weeks ago uh when he was talking about these guys as well but he does it's just everything looks easy when it comes to you know, the route breaks, when it comes to releasing off the line of scrimmage, when it comes to route spacing, you know, should my stem be outside or inside, you know, finding space against zone coverage? Where can I sit down and give my uh, quarterback a really good window? How can I help my quarterback at the catch point? Can my catch radius help you out? You know, can I, can I leap uh, for the ball? You know, can I kind of box guys out of the catch point, right? Can I kind of contort my body to make some plays? Can I, you know, Somehow against Indiana come down with one foot in bounds in one of the craziest ways that a lot of older people will look at that and and, and it will hurt a little bit to to even think about watching that. Right. It's just it's all of those things with with Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think what's what's extremely impressive about Marvin Harrison Jr. is he doesn't have like an insane gear. He doesn't have like that ridiculous speed. I don't know what he's going to run at the combine. I feel like it's maybe a number that might underwhelm to be honest. And again, he's not like a superb yak threat where you know maybe he'll throw the stiff arm, maybe he'll be able to kind of be sudden enough to change direction and he'll catch guys off guard a little bit over pursuing, and he'll be able to pick up some big time yardage. But he isn't like he's not a he's not really the yak player, and he's not really like the the deep threat. You know, oh, I've got this other gear that you can't even imagine. That's just not how Marvin Harrison Jr. is, which is why I think the AJ Green comp is really good uh, that a lot of guys have thrown out there. I think it's just because he, he makes so much he makes so much look so simple. Uh when it comes to the release, right? He can he's very good with the split release. He's very quick in and out of that when he squares you up. Um and again, he can make it really simple. He isn't maybe as crazy as guys like Wilson and guys like Diggs are in terms of their releases where they kind of just get crazy, but they're not too crazy where they're not the super violent, they're super violent cutters, but they also are staying within rhythm of the play. Uh Marvis Harrison Jr. isn't like the violent cutter, but he's super efficient, hyper efficient. Um and there are plays where, again, when I talk about, oh, he doesn't have the extra gear, he can still stack guys. That's what's insane about it. Where he just kind of, oh, the split release, speed release, where I'm just squaring up and going. I'm not gonna do a whole lot to mess around here. I'm gonna get into the route, get into the stem. With exceptional quicks and exceptional little bit of burst, and I'm gonna be able to carry that and sustain a little bit of what burst I do have to stack you and win down the field. Track the ball extremely well, uh, wall you off at the catch point. You know, make slight adjustments where I need to to really uh, track this ball well into my hands. Um, and, and again, he can get he can get fun with the releases though, and he can you know shuffle release to set you up for the slant route. You know, he can he can really work the break point really well and, and sell you with, with strong, you know, leverage attacking moves and leverage attacking stems. And I think that's really evident as well to create some separation for himself. But obviously he really, he really hones the craft at the catch point where, you know, he can go win above the rim. He can extend outside. What, what feels like a normal catch radius for sure. um, And and really secure it and and tiptoe, you know, find his way to stay in bounds just the, the body control at the catch point is exceptional, right? We, we know he can run every route in the book. He's got enough pacing and enough, you know, understanding of how to set you up. And again, just be hyper-efficient through the breaks. And that's what makes it so easy for him. And that's what makes him such an easy eval. Uh, he does have some key drops that that are showing up a little bit here and there. So it's just something to watch for, right? The drop rate's super low, But there were some drops in some key spots, um, especially in the Michigan game. Just something to note. Otherwise, you know, again, he's not the yak threat. He's not the super deep threat. But, again, he can stack anyway. And he's just he's got all the moves in the book. And there are probably going to be a lot of teams that say, you know what, he's probably not beating us this year. He might see a lot of doubles. And the numbers might not be insane this year. We'll see. I still think he's going to put up 1,000 yards, no problem. So I'm excited to see it, for sure. All right, last but not least, uh, we have Blake Corum, the running back from Michigan. Obviously, another guy who could have come out last year, like Fashanu, um, and decided to stay. Obviously, there's whole, you know, the running back debate's going around. Quorum staying, and getting some NIL money instead of, you know, kind of rolling the dice a little bit last year about where he'd be drafted. And what looked like a deeper class, I think that's fair. Obviously, he got injured last year, so that kind of put a damper on things 5 8 to 10 i feel like that number is probably a little bit closer to 200 than 210 when all is said and done um had 248 carries 1461 yards 18 touchdowns that is good for 5.9 yards per carry Uh had 3.35 yards after contact per attempt it's pretty good um had a 91 point run rushing grade in 2021 96.2 rushing grade in 2022 very exceptional there. I uh, was really thrilled with that. Um, in terms of the type of runs, he had 157 of the runs uh, in gap and 90 in zone schemes. Uh, I don't know why one of those is left off. Maybe they couldn't figure out what it was. Um, that's entirely possible. Um, and they just kind of left it out uh, in terms of that numbers. Um, in terms of like where Corum does the most damage, Uh, It seems like outside tight end left, which they call left end. Um, The left end is outside the tight end. Left tackle will be outside the tackle. Um, He was outside left end. He's 8.4 yards per attempt, 4.82 yards after contact per attempt. He's a little bit over six yards per attempt just outside the tackle, the left tackle. Uh, And then he was really good, actually, middle left and middle right, which are just outside the center shoulders. Uh, middle left, he had a higher yards after contact per attempt, and middle right, he had a higher yards per attempt. So, you know, some interesting numbers there. I think when you look at Quorum, the elusive rating, uh, which PFF calculates, it was a ninety-seven point five. Interesting number. Where and and you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, well, that does. What does that mean? You know, what does that ninety-seven point five elusive rating mean? Well, I'll give you some. Um, some uh, other guys uh, with the elusive ratings. Um, let's go back to last year's class. Got three names for you. Obviously, Bijan Robinson, um, 169.1 elusive rating. Listen, Bijan was a wizard, so it's not shocking. Uh, that number insane. Jameer Gibbs, a 99.1. So kind of on par with Jameer Gibbs in terms of elusiveness, at least from PFF standpoint of things. Roshan Johnson at 198, by the way. That's nuts. That is insane uh, in terms of elusive rating. And again, elusive rating. What it does is it's calculating things independent of O line play. So, how are you making guys miss? You know, when you're on the island, when you're in space on the island, can you handle things right? And I think he does very well. Um, a guy in this coming class to uh, to compare yourself to Mayan Williams from Ohio State. His elusive rating is one fifty seven point three. So, just interesting numbers there. Um, Blake Corum. Uh, let's start with you know the the real positives I think everybody if you asked anybody at Michigan who a leader is on that team Blake Corum would uh, pretty much be at the top of their list um, I think he's going to be in the Heisman running again running again this year Michigan's I think going to commit to run even though I know J.J. McCarthy's got some eyes on him in the draft and Donovan Edwards is breathing down his neck a little bit but I think Blake Corum is going to be a key cog once again in that offense uh, so yeah obviously a big-time leader As a runner, I think his patience is very good. I think how elusive, how quick twitched, how agile he is, is impressive. But you combine that with really strong cognitive skills. And sometimes for him, it's as easy as following your stuff on counter plays, following your stuff on zone blocking, firing stuff on gap blocking, Understanding that, okay, I need to take a couple steps. This will open. I'm anticipating this opening in the gap. I know it's going to be there, and I'm going to hit the hole with authority. Does that at a high level. But, again, when you are as elusive and agile as he is, you know, to have some late recognition, right, you know, kind of whether it's, you know, I think with running backs, you know, the anticipatory nature of things, of where things are going to open up is often what quarterbacks see pre-snap, right? They're anticipating this is what's happening, and then you have the reaction skills, the post-snap reactions to what's going on, how can I adjust? I think Corm is very cognitive in his approach to adjust, and I think he's obviously got the physical traits to adjust on the fly, to snap into other gaps when those open, and that patience uh, plays into that as well, I think, in terms of that. So, so cognitively and physically, it's all running together, and, and it helps him create yardage after contact. I will say obviously the burst and the speed is pretty pretty darn good. He clearly believes in his ability to win the corner, and he often does win the corner. Uh when the gap opens, the floodgates open, he's got a pretty good breakaway uh run rate, um, which is pretty fun to see. Uh, he can break off those big runs when he's a straight line runner, but he can be elusive in space too. He can set you up with a v- variety of moves, you know. He kind of changed the pace on his steps a little bit, and he can make you miss in space, and I think that's you know, plays into how how elusive he is as a player. But again, when he can, you can drop the weight like he can, and drop the hips and kind of change direction on a dime. It makes things easier for you. And it's hard. To, he can reduce the surface area, especially at that size, a little more diminutive in, in stature. Um, he can reduce the surface area, get skinny, find his way through gaps. That's really impressive overall. And again, I think he's always fighting for extra yards. He's, he's able to generate, you know, with good power through contact and he's always falling forward um he's understanding of where the sticks are you know he's leaping the pile at times on third and one third and two you know he's putting his body on the line for his team I think there are times where he's a little bit too patient and and that can kind of cost him that can kind of have him lose yardage I think he has, sometimes he has an abandoned ship early enough and that that can lead to some some negative plays will he be able to carry the full NFL load I think is the question right I think the running back by committee approach has gotten very popular. So will he be that lead guy? I don't know. I feel like he's more of a day two player at this point, but I, I really talented one in his own right. Just be how creative he can be with his footwork. He's got a, a lot of ways to make you miss, which is really good. Uh, but he does have breakaway burst and speed, which is really good. And it's, it's a good combination. He has. Uh, and and again, I think one, one last thing to leave you with pass protection. Um, he can go low. He'll square you up sometimes, but I think going low and and kind of chopping and kind of cutting guys off is his best avenue. I would love to see him chip a little bit more uh, with authority. Uh, Sometimes he's kind of just going through the motions of chipping, which I get, though, and I understand that sometimes, you know, if you chip too much, it can kind of free the defender up against the tackle who might already have him well handled and engaged, but that's kind of also something that you work on a little bit as well as to, okay, how much should I chip? But I think, you know, Every running back, for the most part, has to work on pass protection. So that's not super shocking. So there you go. A lot of talking there um, for just six players. But there you go. Six players in depth. Um, we'll, we'll see where all of them fall in terms of the rankings of the initial big board that will come out, I think, probably in September, right before the game start. Maybe September 1st uh, would be a good time for that on the Friday Or maybe August 31st. We'll see. But the big board's being formed. um, And we'll have another six prospects for you on Friday. If you have suggestions as to which prospects you'd like to hear covered, you could do that. Get at me at JakeNFLDraft on Twitter. Um, You can also send things the other guys' way if you want to. um, If you know where they're at already. And they can obviously relay that over. But, you know, it would be nice to not have the middleman. So, at JakeNFLDraft for you guys. I'm going to get out of here. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Can't wait to do more of these um, and, and enjoy uh, your Tuesday.